This is the Get Creative Podcast, highlighting real people doing real deals. Join Pace Morby as he normalizes the conversation about creative finance. And now, on to the show. Hey guys, welcome to the Get Creative Podcast. Today I've got an amazing guest, Jake McKinney, a guy that I love and adore. He is looking for all sorts of great things, and he's here to tell you guys what he's looking for. Sometimes I've got guests that are looking for private money. I've got guests that are looking for maybe acquisition guys. So if you're in the audience, you're watching this on YouTube or listening to the podcast, and you don't know where to start, a lot of our guests are looking to hire people. Sometimes if you're trying to get into real estate, you don't know where to generate the leads, how to close the deals. Even if you close the deal, you don't know what to do. Sometimes the best thing to do is just invest in somebody else's business as a private money lender. So a lot of our guests are looking for that. And I can tell you also, our guests are always looking to do deals with you. So if you have leads or you have things you need help with, these are the types of people you want to reach out to. Jake McKinney, welcome to the show, brother. Thank you, Pace. Appreciate it. Happy to be here. Absolutely. So tell us about your journey. How'd you get started in real estate and where are you currently investing? Um, I, I fell into it accidentally, actually. So um, my, my uncle passed away. This was about eight, nine years ago. Loved my uncle to death. Great guy. Um, but he was a hoarder. And, and so those shows that you see on TV, um, I inherited one of those houses. And so my wife and I um, cleaned out this hoarder house, which was actually a fourplex. We rehabbed it, uh, we put long-term tenants, and we converted half of it to an Airbnb. So in a short amount of time, we learned how to rehab property, we learned how to be a property manager on long-term, and we learned how to Airbnb all the time. And at the same time, we kind of got the bug and then started researching, okay, how can I do more of this? and became obsessed and took a little bit of time to do that next deal. But once we did that, we've, um, we've purchased over 140 doors in the last couple of years. So. Wow. 140 doors, dude. Yeah. <laughs> we've been busy. <laughs> Thank goodness for that uncle being a hoarder, man. So where was that fourplex? That, so it was in new Orleans, um, which in the, in the area called the Marigny, which is right outside of uh, the French Quarter. Um, but I actually lived in, in Amarillo at the time. So we were also learning how to do all of that stuff remote um, and manage contractors remote and property. Oh manager my gosh, remote. what an amazing way to get in is like, so your uncle left you a fourplex in his will. How yeah. did you guys inherit that? Didn't he not have brothers or a wife? Or I was the only family member like left. Um, he didn't have any kids. He didn't have a spouse. And so I was the, the heir in his will. And um, it was, we'd never even been to the property because he was, he was a hoarder. I loved him to death. He was an amazing guy, but he did have that, that illness of, of being a hoarder. So nobody had ever even been inside of his house. Um, we had a bag of keys in a Ziploc bag and an address. <laughs> we showed up uh, looking for this place. So, You're joking. No. Mm -mm. Yeah. That is so cool. So you guys turned two of them in long-term rentals yeah. and then two of the units into Airbnb. Yeah. Do you guys still own that today? Yeah, absolutely. We, um, we, we actually, instead of refining out, we actually worked with um, a local bank and we put a line of credit on that property because we've, we've created so oh, much amazing. equity into it. So that's now a line of credit that we can use to go do our flips and things like that. So. Wow. That is freaking amazing. Yeah. And it's, it's our favorite place in the world too. It's an incredible 
property and New Orleans is amazing and we get to go there for free, you know, a few times a year and write it off. Dude, that is so <laughs> cool. So, all right. So you've got 140 doors. Yeah. Where are you primarily looking to invest and in, in, in what is your main strategy? So our main market is uh, the Texas Panhandle. So that's Amarillo and Lubbock uh, and all the surrounding small towns around there. Um, it, it's a great market for cash flowing long-term rentals. Um, we also have a fairly good Airbnb market there because we're on major highways. So people stopping for the night, uh, we have some pretty successful Airbnbs in that area for that. Um, we also look so for the te- you said the Texas Panhandle. Yeah, yeah. So that's Amarillo and Lubbock. So you're Odessa, Midland, Lubbock, Abilene. Yeah, we've started San to expand Angelo. south into Odessa, Midland, Abilene, San Angelo. I actually have a lot of family in San Angelo, and so um, we've started looking to do some deals down there as well. But most, I'd say seventy, eh, more like eighty to ninety percent of our stuff is in Amarillo and the surrounding area. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And what, why are, why is the Airbnb market good there? Um, so I 40 runs through, uh, Amarillo and it's halfway between Oklahoma city and Albuquerque. So, um, it's the only place to really stop. So there's a huge amount of uh, hotels in, in Amarillo for people stopping for the night. And there's our Airbnbs stay 95% occupied. Now they're not huge nightly rates, but you know, we can, we can buy an Airbnb for a hundred grand and gross three to $4,000 a month on it. Right. So, um, there's, they're not big numbers, right? They're not these $10,000 a month kind of Airbnbs, but they're still, they're, they're always profitable. And they're, they're, yeah, but your cash is crazy. Yeah. So, um, one of the cool ones we did is we bought uh, property sub two, um, and we bought it for $0. <laughs> so, uh, I actually gave the owner a $500 gift card just to help them with their moving expenses, but they didn't want any money. They were underwater on it. So we came and bought it for full retail. Um, we put a coat of paint on it, furnished it, turned it in Airbnb and it, the cash on cash return was over a hundred percent in the first year. Oh my gosh. And yeah. that's an Amarillo. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, here's what I'm thinking. Like if I'm listening to this podcast, I'm sitting there saying, okay, well, how do I do this? Right. How do I get involved in this? Have you ever hired an acquisition person to maybe bang the phones or call leads for you? Do you guys have an acquisition person working for you now? So, um, you know, it's interesting. This real estate business isn't all cupcakes and rainbows, right? So, uh, there's things that are, that are hard and a struggle. And one of the things that we've struggled with is, is our acquisitions company. We actually just went through a pretty painful restructuring where I had to let some people go um, because my real estate company is really a three-legged stool. It's long-term rentals, it's flipping, and it and then it's acquisitions. And the acquisitions part of my company wasn't performing up to my standards. And so we actually had to let a lot of people go and we're looking, we're bringing it all the way back down to the beginning and then we're gonna rebuild it back version 2.0 even better, so. What do you think you'll do different? There's a couple of things. Um, one, I think I, I looked for people that were um, first and foremost a good fit on, on values and culture, which is one, 100% the most important thing, right? But you should also look for an acquisitions manager that has a lot of good, good sales experience. Um, right. <laughs> you can't turn someone maybe who doesn't have that experience overnight into someone who does. Some people just 
have that natural ability like you do, right? Like you, you, you're an amazing salesperson. And so I'm looking for people that have that natural ability and are also a good fit uh, on, uh, on culture and values. Two, you know, that's a whole conversation by itself yeah. is like that whole thing of, can I turn anybody into a good closer? And I am of the belief that you cannot. And yeah. there are people that are born with it. There are people that are, you know, they're kind of born with the gift of gab, so to speak. And then you do have people that maybe have it inside of them, but a guy like you or a guy like me needs to pull it out of them. But even with those two personalities, people that are born with it and people that need it pulled out of them, I still think that it's 50-50 chance that's, you know, only 50% of people can really be a great acquisition person. Mm -hmm. That's why, you know, there's disposition. That's why there's property management. That's why there's all these other things that other personalities, um, you know, are a good fit for. So my question is, are you looking for local people or are you fine with virtual? Tell me about that. I think we're going to rebuild our business to be 100% virtual. Um, and, and the reason is because I think you have to commit one way or the other. It doesn't work to have a hybrid business where you have half local and half virtual. I'm not talking about virtual assistants, but I'm talking about your, your in-house people. Um, right. It creates a, a kind of a schism in the culture uh, and the company to have Half of the people working in an office locally, and then the other half of the people are kind of virtual spread out all over the place. Um, and it's hard to build culture. It's hard to build accountability. There's some people who are in the office talking about whatever they're talking about, and then other people aren't a part of that conversation uh, and that kind of water cooler talk. And so um, I think that was one of the mistakes I made was having a local office and then having a bunch of virtual because I'm not local. Uh, I live in Colorado now. I moved from, from Amarillo to Colorado and I run all of that stuff from, from Colorado. Um, but I still had this company in place where part of it was local. Um, so I think we're going to change that up when we rebuild for sure. Love it. Okay. So you, you got that deal sub two. How yeah. did you get the lead? That lead came, that was actually an SEO lead actually from our website. Um, we do a lot of different marketing channels and that's one of the few deals I've ever done off my website. Like I don't, I don't really believe that SEO is a viable um, long-term strategy if you want to do any sort of volume, but that one happened to come from our website. So that's pretty amazing. That deal has justified all of your SEO expenses in your website uh, probably just by itself. Yeah, that one deal covered it all for sure. Yeah. Okay, so if you're doing, um, you've got that came from your website. Somebody reached out, guys underwater. You end up taking his house over sub two. You gave him a gift card for 500 bucks, um, but essentially just got the house for free. Yeah. And then you guys furnished it, got it up and operating on cash, you know, cash flowing. What other ways are you generating leads right now? Um, so when we started, we were primarily uh, direct mail and driving for dollars. So um, we still maintain that that list. Like I hire people to do D for D for me. It's one of the best lists that we have. Um, and we do some targeted direct mail. We also text. We also cold call. Um, and, and we do some paid leads as well. So, you know, different kind of PPC providers and things like that. I bet you your markets are primed for that. Like Phoenix, Arizona, $600 per lead is a PPC lead. 
Whereas like an Amarillo or Lubbock, I'm sure that you're probably one fifth that, you know, maybe a hundred bucks sure. a lead or maybe even less. I don't know. Where, where are you guys out on your lead? Um, so some of those more expensive channels are, you know, 200, 225, but then I have some strategies to get it a little bit lower than that. Um, just kind of understanding those markets and, and understanding the timing and, and how to, how to bid for those leads and things like that. So we can get them one fifth on average, one fifty. um, texting, we bring in 40 leads a week off of texting and, and we oh, get yeah. really good motivation out of those. I would say 60, 40 are, you know, 60% are actual leads, like maybe not ready to go, but they're not complete tire kickers and 40% are, you know, uh, trash that we throw away. Um, are and then we do in, some are you tier one local. Like, are, where are you fixing and flipping in Texas? Um, all over the panhandle. So we, we've actually, even though Amarillo is our primary market, we do a lot of deals in smaller towns. So, um, you know, towns that have 20,000 people, 30,000 people, uh, because it's a blue ocean, there's no competition, right? So we can buy at such a deep discount um, where, you know, we can, and we can also do it very, very cheaply. So I can buy a three, two house that's 1200 square feet for $20,000. Oh my gosh. And, and put five to $10,000 into it and sell it for 60 to 70, right? Um, and I could just do that over and over and over again. And it's very, very easy. Um, we can also sell on, on terms as well. So we've, we've done some owner financing because those, those kind of deals are so perfect for that strategy on the exit, um, you know, to sell to an in-home buyer, uh, on terms. So, you know, we'll sell I imagine for those areas are prime for that. Cause you could take like those areas, you could sell retail, let's say sixty, seventy thousand $70,000, like you said, but then you probably could turn around and sell that same house on owner finance terms for eighty-five, $90,000, but actually get interest on it, making yeah. more, way more money long-term. Yeah. But man, why are more people not investing in these areas? What the heck? <laughs> uh, I think there is some risk and the risk it would be um, uh, longer hold times, right? So, um, you know, we've had some deals that have stretched out six to nine months. Sometimes, you know, there's one or two that have even gone a little bit lower than that, right? You don't have as big of a buyer pool. So you need to be able to be capitalized well enough to hold these things for, for a long term. Um, you also have an issue with financing. Just if you're, if you're trying to use hard money lenders or traditional financing and your purchase prices are so low, they don't even really want to look at it. So you need to have the cash on hand to be able to do these kind of deals. So I think those are the two main down, downsides that, you know, maybe people don't enter in those. Kind so of most of the people that come on this podcast, they get reached out to by the audience, right? And first off, how do, how do people reach out to you? Do you want to get email? Do you want to get text message? How do you want people to reach out to I'll you? I'll give my, I'll give my email and my cell phone to be honest. Okay, so give, it, give it away. My, my email is super easy. It's Jake, J A K E at R spur R S P U R.com. And my cell phone is 806-340-1345. So a lot of our guests will leave and you know, you know, this will get 10,000 views on YouTube and 20,000 downloads on Spotify or whatever. But I get a lot of guests that go, man, I, I was blown away by how many people reached out to me about wanting to become a private money lender or an acquisition guy or even wanting to do deals with me. 
Which one of those three are you currently looking for in your business right now? All, all three right now. Uh, you know, one of the big, big goals that we had for, for 2022 was to have at least, our first goal is to have at least a million dollars on tap in private money. Uh, we're mm. about a quarter of the way there uh, on our goal already, which is great, but um, I think we can get there even faster. Um, for these specific kind of deals, especially for our fix and flips, I really want to move away uh, from from hard money lenders, I'd, I'd like to not use them as much as possible uh, oh, yeah. in the future and get all of my money from private lenders. And we get very good rates and terms uh, on our private money. Um, and then we're looking to, to hire a new acquisition manager. We're going to stay pretty small. Um, I think our new focus is really going to be to uh, to a limited acquisition company that really focuses on feeding deals to our, our rental and our flipping company um, and not really to wholesale um, as much. Um, you know, we're then, I'm kind of the same model right now. It's been, yeah. I think you scale to a point where you have enough holds, you, you've kind of figured out the fix and flip model and you go, you know, wholesaling's great. It's a wonderful way to get into the business, but after a while, the acquisition side of things in wholesale is very, very hard to automate. It has been one of the biggest challenges in my life personally. And I know you've gone through some things as well with like acquisition people and whatnot. Man, it is challenging, right? So yeah. what's easier is when I just become the buyer on my own deal. So your acquisition business is going out, calling the leads, wholesaling essentially to yourself. And then every once in a while, you do a couple of wholesale deals here and there. But overall, just fixing and flipping and ultimately buying those deals either with creative or with the burst strategy. Are you guys, um, if you hired an acquisition person, you don't mind if they're anywhere in the country right now, as long as they have some sales experience? Yeah, and I'm also looking for someone who has the experience and the personality to have some authorship and ownership over that role, right? I'm almost looking for a number two, um, and not just an acquisition manager, but someone who could really grow into that role and be almost an operations person um, or lead a sales team if we ever did try decide that we wanted to scale that out um, again. So. That's really what I'm looking for, and I'm going to take my time with that. And right now, we're we're good. Like we we make money, we're profitable, we do enough deals to keep ourselves busy. Um, if I've made mistakes in the past, it was trying to scale too fast and hire too fast. And so I'm not going to make that to, that same mistake again. And we're going to put the right person in that role and keep it very lean and mean because um, we had we've gotten to where we had. 12 to 14 employees and and my day was just taken up with all of these direct reports and um oh my god um, i know the feeling it, it, it got too much too much and so we're, and it, we're you're scaling constantly down having to rebuild the culture all the time because new people come in new people leave you have people take things from you it's a it's a big challenge but when you find the right person like an operations manager type of person and they can take that entire department off your plate. Cause that's the, that's the challenge with a guy like you is that you have ambitions beyond just wholesale. And so yeah. you want to fix and flip, you want to buy and hold. And so you need a number two to run the acquisition department and expand it as large as that number two wants to, obviously with your support, your experience backing them up. But what I learned years ago, same thing that you have learned recently or have gone through probably a couple of different times 
is the second you step away from the acquisition business and you rely on your acquisition team to do their job and you want to take a day or two days away from it, it immediately has a noticeable difference if you're not there babysitting those people. So if there's yeah. anybody in this audience that's listening to this right now, number one, reach out to Jake. I've known Jake for a good amount of time. Reach out to him on the private lending side. I, if, if I was a private money lender, I would lend my money to Jake. If I'm also somebody that I believe like, hey, I'd be a great number two. Like, I don't want to go start my own thing. Maybe in five years, I'd like to start my own thing. But I really want somebody who has the experience, the wherewithal, the, the capital, and already the pipeline um, that I'm looking to build in my life. I want to be somebody's number two. Let me prove myself as an acquisition guy and prove myself that I can, you know, deserve this role and step up to the plate. Reach out to Jake. Um, well, I'll make sure that our team continually keeps your phone number and your email on the screen the entire time. Now, the other thing that I see people get is um, they're getting deals. Where are you hoping to get deals more? Like, what is the market you would love people to send deals to you so you could be the cash buyer? Uh, anything in the Texas Panhandle. So Lubbock and surrounding areas, Amarillo and the surrounding areas. Um, I, I, like you, I look at Airbnbs selectively um, around the country. We just bought an Airbnb in Michigan that we 1031'd into, and that thing will gross 130 grand a year. So like I look for those kind of special opportunities that are really amazing Airbnbs, and you know we have the funds to deploy to those. But um, um, anything in the Texas Panhandle. It, it's one of the other mistakes that I think I made, just <laughs> if, if anyone cares about my, 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 the mistakes that I've made over the years. Everybody is does, dude. Trying this, to do yeah, too much. To avoid the mistakes. Tell us about it. Yeah. Trying to do too much in too many areas, right? So, um, for example, I, I spend most of my time in Colorado. And when I moved up here, I thought, I'm going to start doing deals in Colorado. I fell flat on my face because I was spread too thin. And so um, you have to get extremely, extremely good at one thing and then move on to the next thing before you start trying to add new things. And um, like other entrepreneurs, I have terrible shiny object syndrome and I've learned that the hard way over the years. So I, now I just focus my fix and flip in my rental business in the Texas Panhandle, and I look for some special opportunities in other areas. Love that. So, um, guys, his phone number and email are on the screen. If you are looking to lend money as a private money lender, there's nothing better. This is what I hear from private money lenders, is that when they try and get into the game of real estate themselves, whether they're doctors, they're lawyers, or whatever they are, engineers, you know, high-income-producing income individuals, they're so busy with their day job that they don't have time to go look for deals, manage crews, do fix and flips, work with agents, sell the deals, hold the deals, property manage. And so what I hear from pro these private money lenders is that the best way for them to get into real estate is just be a private money lender. So if anybody deserves private money, it's definitely Jake, especially with the experience that you have. Um, also, if you're an acquisition person, you have sales experience. This is the kind of person I wish I was able to work with when I first started. When I first started, there was, I, I had to figure this out on my own. I didn't feel like I had like a big brother to come and work for and go, let me dedicate two to five years of my life helping you build your business so that I can leverage your experience and your business 
that at some point in five years, I can have my own thing. I would have gone that route. I would have learned way faster. I would have gotten my first deal way faster. I would have gotten the feet, my feet on the ground way faster just by working for a company like Jake. So, uh, bro, thank you for coming today. I appreciate you. Thank you, Pace. Appreciate everything you do, man. You have the best community on the planet. We so. do, bro, and you're a part of it, and I appreciate you tremendously. <laughs> Thank you so much. Guys, if you want to reach out to Jake, his phone number and email are on the screen, and this is another episode of the Get Creative Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Get Creative Podcast. If you enjoyed this content, like, subscribe, and share with your friends.